welcome back to the Kelly 31 podcast. It's June 8, 2020. And this afternoon, we have a veteran sportscaster, a broadcasting trainer, and the voice of the PBA, Mr. Noel Zerate. Hi, Noel. It's been a while. Hi, guys. Yeah, this is my signature wave now on, no, on Zoom whenever I do a show. So I have to do the Pabebe wave. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Come on, Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, this are... Uh, unusual times so i, I guess yep. uh, we've never spent this much time in one place ever oh you're telling me yeah <laughs> i haven't seen my barber. i haven't seen my barber in three months already i guess um it's gonna take a while pa. so it looks like you and i have the same problem right now yes, yes. my mom is uh saying that i, I need one I'm waiting for the donations yeah. to come in before, wow. <laughs> before I pull the trigger. Yeah, at, at, least, at least we can say we have hair. I am very grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> well, how have you been? What has been keeping you busy during these uh, unusual times? Um, well, um, thankfully, we've been getting some help also from our station. Um, we, ha- we haven't worked. Uh, as uh, I think the last time I actually broadcasted or uh, worked a game, not even broadcasted, I think I announced the game opening of the PBA, which was March 8th. And then I did a volleyball announcing gig in March 10th. And then that's it. I have not done any sports since then. But our network, ESPN5, uh, has been giving us some some, some support uh, over the last few months. Even the PBA has been giving us some support. Uh, but it comes to a time that you're going to have to lean on your savings a little bit. And uh, that's almost uh, hitting the alert levels uh, right now. But uh, you know, we're, we're hopeful because of uh, what's happening with the NBA right now uh, and other sporting leagues. Uh, in fact, Liga Endesa, uh, if you're familiar with ACB Liga Endesa in Spain, they're actually starting their playoffs already on June 17. They're the first basketball to go. June 17 na sila. Um, there'll be, uh, I think, there are 10 teams in over 30 games or something like that. Uh, they play uh, 30 games in several days lang. So, I don't know how that's going to work. But that's a good indicator of uh, where we're going to be sana soon. Um, because uh, the NBA nga is starting in July 31. And uh, yun, yung mga iba sana, it follows suit already. But um, keeping myself busy right now, just actually hanging out here in the house and uh, uh, playing with my, you know, with my youngest daughter mostly. And uh, playing a lot of piano <laughs> at night. And uh, we also have a podcast, yeah. It was her birthday recently, so uh, belated happy birthday to her. Yeah, yeah, it's my youngest birth, uh, youngest birthday. She just turned seven. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of piano playing uh, uh, at night uh, just to entertain myself and entertain you guys. I mean, you request for one song in particular <laughs> all the time. And uh, also, uh, we have a podcast also called An Eternity of Basketball. That's major keeping us busy because we have to do a lot of research because we're talking to the old guys, the, the OGs of the PBA. I mean, we had Atoiko on, we had Francis Arnais on already. Uh, and then on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow actually, we're going to be having uh, Leo Austria on. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, that's what's really keeping us busy, keeping us sane, actually. He is the 1985 uh, Rookie of the Year, I think. Yep, I yep, yep. He was, he was. So you started this with Charlie Kuna and uh, Sid Ventura. Yeah. So uh, when did you guys start during when the pandemic hit, or has this been ongoing for, for a while? Well, during the pandemic, Naito, um, we actually started, um, I think, sometime in April. Our very first episode was with uh, Coach Jong Wichiko, 
and uh, we're entering, I believe, our 18th episode already on uh, Tuesday with uh, with Leo Austria. So uh, we've done 18 interviews already. We've learned so much from these people. It's actually the idea of Sid um, to put this up because uh, Sid is uh, is the managing editor of ESPN5.com, where we all write for. And obviously, since there are no sporting events that need to be covered right now, we have to be a little creative with our content. So he decided to put up a show, a podcast, where we could just interview a lot of people. And uh, it's actually driven a lot of content uh, on our site because after the interview, there's a lot of uh, articles that come out. I think the uh, articles of Abby King, Marte Saldana, surprisingly, you know, were the ones that uh, generated the most uh, views. And of course, Atoyko's uh, comments about uh, Jaworski really drove a lot, not only for us, but for, uh, for other media outlets as well. They're really fanning the flames of that Chris Patoyota rivalry. Um, we actually hope to have a Chris Patoyota podcast very soon with, uh, with all of these guys. Uh, if they can remember what the heck happened to them before. <laughs> That would be exciting uh, to see all those yeah, guys. Yeah. guys were able to get uh, Francis are nice and uh, you know, yeah. granted a lot of interviews uh, over the last couple of years. So That's true. Yeah. yeah. So Noel, what's your origin story? Uh, how did you get into music, broadcasting, working in the sidelines wow. of the PBA as a worker? Um, I actually made it a goal uh, when I was young. Um, I don't even remember if I was 14 or 15. I made it a goal that I would never work in an office. So I would uh, look for, um, I learned later on the term for it as a slacker job, <laughs> what, what, I've, what I've been doing. So um, actually I did work in an office, I'll tell you about that a little later on. Pero uh, mostly I was into music since I was a kid, talaga. Um, my uh, family is very music oriented. I, I had an uncle who went to the UP College of Music. Uh, there was a story, there's an anecdote before that um, when my dad would come home, and he would honk the horn. I would run over to the piano and play the horn. And then that, that's when they discovered that I actually had an ear for, for music. And then I would be singing in the correct key and I would be singing in the correct tempo since I was three years old. So, and in fact, some of my children are also like that um, right now. They, they don't know their perfect pitch, but they actually are, all, all three of them actually. And uh, so that sort of developed into, okay, you can be a musician someday, but of course I had a grandfather who said, no, you're going to be a businessman, you're going to be a professional, a doctor, something like that, right? Uh, music is for like, uh, so that was uh, the start of the music part. But at the age of um, eight, I actually started watching the PBA on TV already. Um, and then uh, sort of got hooked. Was what? What year was that? Nine, I was 78, so that must have been... Because uh, my birthday's in December, so alanganin, di ba? My birthday's in December, so that must have been 1979. When I was eight years old. I was watching uh, the PBA, and then uh, sort of got hooked. No, 78 pa pala. So I was seven years old when I started watching. But at the age of eight, I remember I was turning down the volume of the TV already, and I was doing my own play-by-play. So I started out, I keep on telling people, when did you start the sportscaster? I said I was eight years old when I started out because I was turning down the volume of the TV and I was doing my own play-by-play. Then uh, my dad took me to my first uh, PBA game, which is the very first game of Arnie Tuadles in 1979. Uh, that's, I, I watched that live at the Araneta Coliseum. At the time, you could still smoke in Araneta, so it was like a smoky venue. Uh, that's, that's my recollection, my first PBA game. It was a smoke-filled place. And um, uh, I think Toyota won that game. I'm not even sure if Toyota won that game, but it was a Toyota game. And um, since then, I really got hooked into basketball at least. 
and then eventually learn other sports and then learn that I could talk about other sports and then sort of developed into that over the years. And uh, we've known each other for uh, 17 years. So That's true. That's true. Met, You're met, one of my students. Here, <laughs> we met in May, in May yeah. of uh, 2003, and you had the Center for Sports Communication, CSC. That's true. I was yeah. Third, I was in the third batch, so uh, I guess uh, you proved your grandfather right. You were able to go into business. Uh, how did you start yeah, out, that uh, the Center for uh, Sports Communication? Uh, just to, I'll, I'll backtrack there a little. bit bit you know in, in 1997 I actually joined the PBA uh, through a lucky audition it was a really lucky audition where there was like 50 people at the vintage office and I was remember I was in the music industry I actually started out in the music industry before I became a sportscaster so I was in the music industry at the time I was making commercials I was writing for bands I was uh, writing arreglo and I went to the vintage office in my torn jeans and my long hair I mean I don't know if you can imagine me with a ponytail uh, that's what I looked like before I, I went there I had a under the balbas lang no beard just uh, no no bigote just a balbas you know you know uh, what band that was that uh, Faith No More singer Faith No More when I saw when I saw that oh, I want something like that so I had that I had long hair and I had ripped up jeans a fatigue jacket went to the vintage office and somehow I survived the audition for that lone spot in the PBA radio panel this was in 1997. Um, prior to that, I had been uh, broadcasting already with the PBL in 1994, but that's a different story. In 1997, I was able to get my breaks uh, PBA. And after years of doing that, I, I sucked at first, but then I got used to it. Then in 2001, just to ask your question, so I'm just going back to your question right now. In 2001, my, my radio partners at the time, uh, Mon Liboro, uh, Benji Santiago, and the late Barry Pasqua, uh, we, we talked uh, one summer and said, hey, let's put something up together, you know, let's, let's do a workshop or a seminar where we can actually teach people how, uh, what, what we do. Because there's no course, really. When we got into vintage television at the time, it's called vintage, uh, we had a, a workshop and then we sort of, um, they sort of relied on our talent because we went through already, they know we were talented, so we just had a workshop. But we wanted to teach people who wanted to, uh, who wanted to be like us or who wanted uh, to be in our industry, at least the basics. So we started out in 2001. I remember, I think the date was um, May 16 to 18, 2001, at the sixth floor of the Development Academy of the Philippines. That was the first batch of the Center for Sports Communication Basic Sports Casting Seminar. And from batch one, we had guys like Boyet Season, Mark Sambrano, DJ Susie. Uh, these are the ones that came out from, from batch one. Uh, we, so we sort of helped put them in a spot where they could actually you know, have a career out of it. Then in batch two, wala masyado sumikat. Then along comes your batch, uh, Teddy, batch three in 2003, which was at my, yeah, that was at my uh, at my mom's condo, right? right. Was it? In, in my mom's condo in Park right. Chateau. Right. <laughs> in Pasig, we turned the function room there into a seminar venue and then you guys were there. Charlie Kuna was, uh, of course, in your batch. I believe Kiko Malik Dem also. Rick Stryker was in your batch. Coach Jude Roque. Um, uh, Gabe Mercado was also in your batch, so that was a pretty loaded batch that you uh, that you had there. Marami sumikat sa inyo. We did CSC until 2005. We produced eight batches. The last batch, of course, having uh, Chuck Araneta and Risa Diaz um, were the standard bearers of that batch, if you may, and um, sort of died down. And then uh, 
yeah, everybody sort of found their way into the industry. So our goal really was to just get you guys, uh, put, uh, put you in an opportunity to, to learn what we do. And I hope you were able, we were able to teach you, uh, to, to teach you what, what we did. And uh, yeah, put you, put you in a position there. Yeah, look at you, look at you now. <laughs> uh, in, in 2018, uh, you started a Newbies Broadcasting Academy. Could you talk a little bit more about that? That's actually 2009. Uh, yeah, 2018 was the first batch. Um, one of your, one of our former graduates, uh, see si Troy Yao, who was from batch seven, uh, who's our one of Kalabanatis fantasy. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we, we do a lot of, we did a lot of fantasy before, uh, NBA fantasy. You actually won one of our, uh, one of our tournaments before, and uh, Troy also won once. And um, he said uh, during the time that we were doing the uh, practicing for the fantasy draft, hey, why don't we revive it? It was Troy's idea actually to revive it. And uh, sabi ko, well, I don't know. I'm kind of busy right now with a lot of things. That's actually what's been keeping me from pursuing it full-time uh, before. I mean, we stopped in 2005, and then, what, 13 years later, there's an opportunity. Although I did a few workshops before that, uh, but you people, to do it the way that you guys experienced in, in 2003, where we had a staff, where we had, um, the, even the staff had its own workshop in itself, that wasn't done since 2005. So then Troy broached uh, the idea of, Tara, let's do it. And uh, you think people would still, uh, I don't know, would still bite. And uh, yeah, we, we let's, as, as long as we market it well. And uh, we couldn't charge the rates we were charging you guys. I mean, you guys were, were <laughs> that was a lot, a lot less money than, than, than what it is right now. So we pegged it at an 8,000 peso range, which was uh, not too high, not too low. And uh, we were surprised that when we announced it within a month because it was only two months of, of promoting within a month we had a full class already of 36 uh for for that uh, for that batch so yeah it, it was uh we did 36 and uh, students and uh we they graduated in november 2018 and some of them from that batch have already gone on in the industry uh which is surprising uh there's a newscaster now in one use by the name of chicky verhel uh, she was from that batch. She used to be a DJ, and then after that, she auditioned to be uh, uh, a news anchor for uh, for uh, One Sports. And then there's another the uh, mix VJ. There was a mix VJ hunt also ongoing when that workshop happened. One of our students, Anton Fausto, who had never been on TV before, auditioned and he got the job. He became the male winner of the of the mix VJ hunt. So they, they, we, we give you guys the tools, it's up to you when to, how to apply it. And some guys are, I don't know if you can call it lucky or are at the right place lang at the right time and they were able to get the opportunities kagad. Would you have any tips for aspiring uh, broadcasters? I mean, now that it's a pandemic and they have a lot of time on their own, what can they do to, uh, until uh, such time as there's another visa? Uh, yeah, we, we actually have. Yeah, we actually have one. Uh, we were supposed to have one before this was, uh, all. This all started. Our fourth batch was supposed to be on March 13 to 15. Exacto, That's when the that's when the lockdowns started in March uh, 15, and we had a full class. We opened batch four of the new Beast uh, Broadcasting Academy. Uh, I think sometime in uh, January. By you know, we didn't even market it. We didn't even market it the way we were aggressive with the other batches. And by the first week of Feb, we had a full class already. So we had thirty-six students already by the first week of Feb, more than a month before the workshop was about to happen. 
but then yeah, it, it got cancelled. So my the, the, to answer your question, I'm gonna throw the question back to you. Why did you attend our workshop in 2003? I wanted I wanted to learn, and uh, it was, I always consider workshops like the ones that you give us an opportunity because it doesn't, from my experience, it doesn't happen all the time. I attended. Um, uh, Todd Reyes had he brought in uh, Tom Newell, the son of Pete Newell. Yeah. I attended yeah. that. After that, there wasn't any more. So mm -hmm. you, know, it, uh, you never know if that's going to be it. So you you, you you try to grab these opportunities uh, if it presents itself. Yeah, and then some of the people from your batch actually pursued it a, a lot more than some of you did. Uh, that's why uh, Charlie was uh, Charlie Kuna was able to to proceed, and then some got very creative with it. Sila, uh, Rick Stryker, Edwin Lujina became uh, one. It's now one of the most famous Coliseum announcers in the country. And he started out there also. So to, to answer your question, what are the tips that I can give for people to become sportscasters? I'm just be like you. Just be a fan, Muna. Be a fan. Love love what you you're gonna do, and and don't think that you're gonna get paid immediately. But there are some people who think that, yeah, huh? That's key. Yeah, that's that's very key because uh, you have to remember that we started really from the bottom and worked our way up. You know, you there's no better place to start. I say to all the sportscasters that I've trained before, there's no better way to start than on radio, because on radio you're talking to blind people, literally blind people. They cannot see what's going on unless you have some addicts there who have the TV on and the radio on at the same time. But uh, you're listening to people who are listening to your fishermen heading back to shore. You have the taxi drivers stuck in traffic. Those are the people who are listening to you. And you have to be very as descriptive as possible with regards to that. And some of the best sportscasters that we have right now, they all went through the process of becoming a radio uh, anchor. However, pagdating sa bayaran, radio does not even touch what TV pays. So we are the lowest paid um, sportscasters, but we say the most number of words. Diba? So that's where you're going to have to start um, somewhere if you get lucky. Second, it's, as a sportscasting, it's like you have to have that dream and you have to follow it, talaga, as in pursue it. There will be some sacrifices that you will have to make along the way. Uh, like me, before I, I, I did an interview, I forgot which magazine it was. That was the time I'd already stopped. Uh, my career in the music industry was well, 2010. Uh, I stopped already. I decided one day that I will not continue in the music industry. I'll just do the sports, uh, the sports casting thing. Because there are opportunities. But then they found out the the interview. The interviewer found out how much I made monetarily as a musician. And so, it, just to cut a long story short, whatever I used to make in a week as a musician, it would take me about three weeks as a broadcaster. To hit that number and they say why do you why did you choose the lower paying job uh, because I can imagine myself not being in the music industry but I cannot imagine myself not being in the sports industry I mean in the sports industry it's a bigger obligation because now you have to educate and entertain a lot of people I'm naturally madaldal you put me in a studio for four hours I'm probably gonna go crazy if that's all I did right? so I needed some outlet somebody to, to talk to and then for about four or five hours, in radio at least, that's non-stop talking for, for about four or five hours. So when I come home, I'm completely tired. But um, you know when you did a good job is when you get home and you're about to sleep with the, your workload still on. <laughs> right? You're, you're so tired, you can't even take a shower anymore. So, work anymore yeah. is a passion. 
Yeah, it's it's more of a passion. That's why uh, we. Um, my 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 thing is with with uh, when ESPN Five got me uh, to, to join their to join their broadcast team in uh, 2013, uh, I said okay lang if you put me on TV, but never take me out of radio, diba? I mean, diba? I, it's okay. I did a few games on uh, on PBA Rush already. I actually do volleyball games on TV. It pays a lot more, although radio pays a lot less. That's the one that keeps me sharp. And, and Magumar John was saying this the other day. Magumar John also actually was a CSC grad from, uh, from Batch 6. Naman. Magumar John was saying this the other day that if TV and radio paid the same amount, he would never do TV. <laughs> that, that's, that's actually a great point. I believe, that, I believe when he said that, right? Because you, the dynamism of radio and then the passion that you bring out in radio and the obligation that you have for the fans, that's, that outweighs anything. TV's more talaga for... You know, it, it's it's a good pay when you get the, when you do a PBA broadcast on TV. But the radio thing, talaga, that's like that's like public service right there, and it keeps you sharp. You mentioned uh, you joined the PBA in 2013. It's it's a big year. I, I rejoined. I, I rejoined the PBA in 2013. Um, yeah, it's a big year for you because on on, on that year you also uh, had accomplished a dream of sorts by being the oh, yeah. marker for the the NBA. Uh, the NBA game between the Houston Rockets and the uh, Indiana Pacers. I was at that game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Could you tell us about that experience? Oh wow! That actually, 2013 was a was one of the best years ever uh, for myself because that's when my youngest daughter was born. 2013, June 4, 2013 was when uh, she was born. I was also fortunate enough to do the very first um, UAAP radio broadcast of the finals in 2013. That was the first ever uh, time that they put the UAAP on radio over DZMM. <clears throat> but going back to that NBA thing, did you know that leading up to the game, I had no voice? As in, I had no voice. As in, voila. Um, because I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I forgot what date it was, but three days before the game, I, I was assigned to do a, a Shakey's V League volleyball game. And at the time, we were doing three games in one day, para, diba, para matawid, all of the games. We're, we're, we're in a hurry for some reason. So I did three games uh, that day, and I think it went five sets, four sets, five sets. So I covered 14 sets in one day. I had completely lost my voice doing that. But then the next day, I had to report for the dress rehearsals and everything uh, in NBA. And I told them I had no voice at the time. So they were very concerned because they had already signed me up. Uh, I had a contract already. They were paying me lots of money to, to do it. And said, but you, will you be okay tomorrow? Yeah, I have to just take all of the precautions already. So for that entire day before, I, had, I would, didn't talk to anybody. I, was, I couldn't even whisper to anybody. I was showing them my phone. Well, what, here's what I need right now. So then I was doing all the stuff. I don't know, you're a doctor, divide I had to gargle Bactidol, I had to do the Deflam, then I had the, the Pepakwa thing going, and everything I had was warm. So, um, zero voice, talaga. Uh, even during the rehearsals, we had rehearsals at the time, I had to have somebody speak for me during the rehearsals. And then they said, oh, you'll be okay tomorrow, you'll be okay. By the next day, by the day itself, I think I had 40% of my voice back. 40% of my voice back. It still wasn't going to be enough. So what I learned in years of experience is that you're going to have to, you're going to have days that you're going to have to work without a voice. That's happened to me many times already since 1994. I had no voice, but I had to work. Diba? 
So since I wasn't really broadcasting, I was announcing, I had to I had learned how to manipulate the microphone. I would tell them, put that up there, I will control the volume with my with my voice. So they put the mic on full blast. And what you heard during the game the whole time, that was all whisper. But it was all <laughs> Daya whisper. I mean you wouldn't recognize that it was a whisper because guys I've tried to fuel the game and everything, but that was whisper. If you, I was look, looking at some of the videos, but I was still able to pull it off. But that was a dream. You're right. It was a dream come true. I thought you did a great job. I, I didn't notice. Thank you. Since I was there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We're, I don't really tell many people about that, the, that incident. And, but only the NBA people knew at the time that, uh, okay, he's going to... And I told them what I was going to do. I'm going to cheat the microphone. So when we did the sound test, uh, well, they were already uh, putting people in. When, when we did the sound test, everybody was going, yeah, yeah, you're doing it good, you're doing it good. But I was cheating the microphone, talaga. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, since the pandemic started, uh, they they put out the last dance uh, earlier than, than mm -hmm. expected. And for the, like, for the next couple of weeks, five, six weeks, uh, that's the only thing anybody has talked about. So... They've right. finished all 10 episodes, and I'm pretty sure that you've watched it. So what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. It's it's great. It's actually more for people who don't know who Michael Jordan is, who keep saying that Kobe Bryant is the best player ever. LeBron James is the best player ever. You watched Last Dance. It's just like the tip of the iceberg of what Michael Jordan did in his career. And you get to know who, who Michael Jordan really is and you know the swagness uh, uh, there was a time he was being um, matched up with Clyde Drexler in the NBA finals and I, was, I took offense with that you know and he's the, he's the guy who can actually say it so you it's more of actually introducing a new generation to the greatness of Michael Jordan it's like this, just shut up guys I mean it's not even close LeBron James yeah he's the greatest player right now bar none the greatest player on the planet right now but to call him the greatest ever he'll probably be fourth or fifth after michael jordan's uh, after you showed what michael jordan's uh, was all about in the last dance it was like a reunion of sorts watching it cause yeah yeah i, I miss luke longley though yeah. i miss luke longley sana they they, they did a, a shoot with luke longley like this like i had the zoom lang di ba? oh why well, they didn't think about that I think Harper also has a very short clip there. It would have been nice to hear uh, more from these <laughs> Yeah. Um, that was great. It was great. It was a great documentary because um, you get to see, and I personally met Dennis Rodman when he came here, I think in 2006, when, when Dennis Rodman came here. Whatever you saw on the video, you, you, you read that book, right? Uh, Bad as I want to be. Uh, it, yeah. it, uh, it, um, it details how, that he's not really a, a bad guy. He's just a guy who's uh, just having fun. And when he was here also the same thing he's a very soft-spoken very nice person he's just a little wild uh, on the court and uh, people didn't believe me when i said hey, rodman's a nice guy you know he's crazy oh wa watch watch that I, I would probably say if you told me ron artest is a nice guy i would probably say uh until i met him of course uh, i would probably say mm -hmm, i don't i don't know but dennis rodman was a nice guy and the, and the video proved it ron artest is a nice guy by the way I, he, he came over here, uh, I think it was last year, uh, when he came over here with his son. Yeah. Son's half Filipino, I think uh, he got his passport, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned, oh, I wanted to share this with you. I don't know if you know this. He, uh, hmm. you know that uh, the house where Jordan shot in, um, it wasn't his house. Did you, did you hear about that? Wow. 
Oh no, I didn't know about that. He didn't want to shoot. Uh, he didn't want to shoot uh, in his house, so the um, the director had to get creative. So in in the area where where he lives in Orlando, they chose I think from like three homes that uh, they felt that's that's a house where Michael Jordan would live in. Then he just stopped by and, and they shot it there. Okay, so, <laughs> I didn't know. For Pippen. Uh, he was the of the three, Pippen, Jordan, and and Rodman. He was the only one who invited uh, the the film the filmmakers to his house. But when the filmmakers got there, uh, he had just moved in. All of his stuff was in boxes. So if you watch the Last Dance again, it's either uh, it, all the shots are are the front door is in the back and there's stairs, or it's a close up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know I know there was something something wrong with it, but uh, yeah, I didn't realize that he just moved in. That, those are great. Those are great tidbits, huh? Yeah, uh, Rodman. Uh, he asked for a sandwich and a drink, and they were able to hustle him into a hotel room. So those are the stories uh, <laughs> from behind the scenes of the Last Dance. Galeng, galeng, galeng. It was great. You know, um, I think my favorite uh, episode in Last Dance was episode nine. And my least favorite one was episode ten. <laughs> so this is for uh, episode Indiana. Yeah, the Reggie Miller. Yeah, the Reggie Miller episode. I think that was the that was the best episode. And then the in ten, I had a debate with a lot of people about this. I wanted to see where they were after already, how they had gone because uh, uh, I know Kukoc stayed. Uh, Rodman wasn't renewed. Kerr had to leave also. Um, Pippen obviously moved out already. But what was it like after? And even when Michael Jordan came back to the Wizards, pero. Uh, they had a point also. Some of my friends had a point, but it was just about the '98 team. If you talk about what they what they were doing now, it's like it's not connected to that anymore. I was looking sort of for an ending. Like, have you ever seen the Bad Boys documentary? I love the way that ended. The the ending of the Bad Boys documentary was like like that's that's the way I wanted Last Dance to end. But of course, I'm not the director, and uh, most of my friends are right anyway. It's just something that I wanted to see. Those are the good old days, when after every championship, there's a there's a video that comes out that talks about the whole. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Those are the yeah. good. Yeah. So, yes. Um, went on record and because Jordan had said at the end of the documentary that uh, they should have given us a chance to compete. So Jerry uh, the the owner of the Bulls, said that you know he asked Phil, Phil didn't want. Jordan had essentially married himself to Phil, so. What yeah, people yeah. don't talk about is that Jordan uh, injured his finger. He cut it on a cigar cutter, so he probably wouldn't have been able to play. <coughs> uh, yeah, I guess. No, uh, but it was uh, no, you, you, the relationship they had with Jerry Krause. Um, that was brought to the front. We all we all knew this. I mean, you and I knew this a long time ago. That you know, Jerry Krause was like the the arch enemy or the villain in that squad. And uh, I think the movie, uh, the the series, actually. Uh, gave a little bit more justice to why Jerry Krause was like that. I mean, look at looking at Jerry Krause now. Yeah, he did his job. He did his job. He was able to bring in all of the right pieces so that the Bulls could could have that uh, could have that run of six uh, titles. But you uh, know, if uh, Phil Jackson had come back, Jerry Krause would have to have left. But and I don't think uh, that uh, would be Jerry Reinsdorf's um, idea or uh, decision, right? To to have Jerry Krause leave. So. Yeah, they, they, there was a point in the, in the series that said, you, you can move pieces. You, you don't move Michael Jordan pieces. Yeah, Phil Jackson, yeah, you can move him. And that's the way Jerry Krause thought as a GM. And, uh, and if you look at it from a GM point of view, he was right, actually. 
it, it was getting out of control. I uh, they, they showed some of the behind the scenes, you know, and the play the players don't know that they're being recorded. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Jordan was saying to to Jerry Krause something like, you know, are you are you really gonna drink that? It's gonna stunt your growth. Something to that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I it's saw very that. subtle. It's very quick, but I, I caught that. Yeah. So from um, and also you know when uh, they were they were warming up. Hey Jerry, you want us to you want to join us for some layups? Yeah, sure. You have to lower the ring though. <laughs> yeah. And this is no, but that's at least Michael Jordan was being funny. I mean, Scotty Pippen was like downright or disrespecting him already at that certain points um, because of his contract dispute. But if you look at it also, that's Scotty Tom, uh, Scotty Thompson, that's Scotty Pippen's uh, fault also for agreeing to a term that long, right? Because uh, Jerry Reinsdorf was actually talking out of uh, agreeing to a term that long, but. Uh, yeah, Sigurista, and uh, when the money started to, to grow, he wasn't part of it. So that's why he was disgruntled towards the end, wanted to be traded. But he's okay now. He was able to get his money. Uh, where did he go first? He was in Houston or Portland after? He, uh, Houston, right? Houston. Yeah, Houston first. Yeah, he got paid in Houston. Yeah. Then he realized yeah. it wasn't working, and he, got, he went, he, he shipped him to Portland. Yeah, and then he came back to the Bulls when Jerry, when Jerry Krause left. <laughs> that was really his last dance. That was, uh, he, I yeah. Think, he didn't really play so much in that season. He was injured. Yeah. Um, so from uh, 1998, we fast forward to 2020, and uh, the NBA yeah. has recently approved the 22-team format. I was uh, expecting it to be 20 or less. So 22 teams. Um, what's your opinion on this development? Uh, they're going. It's going to be the Mickey Mouse tournament. They're going to go to Orlando. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the new NBA logo? It's Mickey Mouse. It's not Jerry West anymore. <laughs> it's Mickey Mouse already. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of sad things about the way the season ended. I mean, I would have liked to see Vince Carter play his uh, last game throughout the regular season, but Atlanta obviously won't make the playoffs. So the, the six teams that they invited actually are supposed to be those hunting for the eighth seed already. So they'll finish off those games and then, uh, um, then start the playoffs. It's actually interesting that there's no more East and West for me. It, there's no more East and West. I mean, they've been trying to do this with the playoffs or with the, with the All-Star game where they have Team LeBron and Team Giannis already. But, but just to see, this will now show who the best team really is in, in, the, uh, in the NBA. It's no longer division because obviously over the years, you and I both know this, the Western Conference is really stacked. The Western Conference would dominate the Eastern Conference any day. And in fact, if you look at Last Dance, go to the 19, um, what's this, 85-86 season, Bulls qualified for the playoffs with a 30 and what record? 30 and 52 or something like that, 30 and 52 record, and they qualified. And then you have a team in the West that has 38-39 wins and they don't even make it. So it's obviously that the balance of powers in the West and then whoever comes out of the East, suerte na lang if you actually win a championship. I mean, the last time that uh, that happened was, of course, Toronto. But before that was Cleveland. It's all Golden State after that, b- before that. So uh, it's nice now to see that you'll actually have an actual champion, not representing the, uh, the East and the West anymore. It's uh, the best team already that comes out of this playoff, uh, uh, playoff format is going to win. That, that's, uh, but I don't know how the, the records are going to show this right now. Kasi magulo yan. Um, <laughs> so longer east and west. I heard uh, some people talking about it, and you know, some as you know, some teams have more games, like sixty-seven games. Other teams have, mm-hmm. like uh, I think, uh, it's San Antonio, it's like sixty-four. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about. Um, I, I, I'm not familiar who are the 
for qualifying for the eighth, the ninth and eighth spot, but they did say that because uh, Portland has played the most games, even if they come out tied, uh, Portland will make it. So uh, that, that's that's an advantage because they decided to go with uh, percentage percentages. Yeah, yeah, but they have to look at those tiebreaker rules again because those tiebreaker rules have to be fair to everybody. I mean, you can't take the regular season and say, oh, since we're doing this right now, Portland's going to have an advantage when, uh, when that happens. There has to be like certain asterisks when it comes to those tiebreakers talaga, because you are playing in a very, very short format. So every game is really going to count. And a lot of players are really going to be killing themselves to make it to the playoffs. But uh, if they can revisit those tiebreakers, uh, maybe they'll find some clarity. In, right. in the coming days, I guess we'll find out when they when they give us more information. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to have, uh, end with a couple of quick hitters. These are some sure. short stories that uh, you might you might have for us. And you mentioned you met Dennis Rodman. Was this the time when Pippen came yeah. here, or was it? Uh, was it no, no, no. It was different. Uh, I, I met Dennis Rodman in 2006 when he was with the NBA legends. They'd actually come here, so he was with guys like. Um, uh, Calvin Murphy, uh, Alex English was here, uh, Sidney Moncrief. <clears throat> so those guys, uh, who's the big guy? I think it was Daryl Dawkins. Daryl Dawkins was also with them. Uh, entertaining group of guys, really. And then, so you can see that, they, that those guys really saw, sort of just, you know, we're here for, uh, to support Dennis, but they were having more fun than Dennis, actually. <laughs> they were like... Uh, uh, where Asi played really well against Dennis. Yes, 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 yes. And Dennis went up to Asi and then uh, has all praises for Asi. And then his dad was actually in Araneta at the time. I was the executive producer for Sports Desk uh, at the time for Solar Sports. Uh, our assignment was to just follow Rodman uh, the whole time through a press conference, wherever he did, we just follow him. We had an all access with, with Rodman. But I sort of said, okay, let's leave the crew there. I need another camera because I want to follow his dad. Because I remember during the press conference uh, when, uh, in, in Cubao, uh, when the, the press conference was about to start, the, the head of the entourage of Dennis Rodman said, all right, you can ask anybody, address the media, you can ask anything you want de the, to Dennis except about his dad. It was very specific. Yeah, except about his dad. Don't, don't ask uh, about that. So that sort of, uh, I said, Ooh, if, if his dad shows up in Araneta, we're there. Then we got a tip. That he was actually showing up in a cab. Uh, that we actually went to the gate where he was. I was dragging my cameraman by the belt because he had to. He, he was facing the, the. He was facing the dad. So I was pulling him just so he won't. He won't hit people. All the way in, his dad actually had like uh, two plastic bags of San Miguel Pale Pilsen with him. And he drank it all during. By halftime, I think he ran out of beer. He had to send somebody out again. So, and then it, the, the place where he was sitting, there's a um, ringside, it was all cans of beer all over the place there. So, yeah, that was, that's the side story there. So, I did meet Dennis Rodman. I did meet his dad. I actually interviewed his dad also uh, for Sports Desk. That was a pretty big thing. This was in 2006. Pretty sure it was 2006. In uh, 2013, you, you were the Barker at the game. Uh, between uh, NBA, the, Pacers, yeah. the Pacers and the Rockets uh, in attendance yeah. was Larry Bird. I'm a big Larry Bird fan. Uh, oh, so you am I. Do yeah. you have a story for me? I heard. I heard oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was there there was a story and 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 the guys still hate me about this uh, about this incident for to this day. Um, the the Pacers and the and the Rockets were already there like three days before the event. They were already there. 
and they were answering media and everything, but they had to do their shoot around and stuff. So obviously, I was, I was there just the day before the event. Um, they had already been there. Charlie Kuna was there. Sid Ventura was already there. Mark Zambrano, Mike Abasolo. I mean, all of the big shot media guys were already there. And they were trying their best for the last two days. They had been there for two days already to get at least a handshake with Larry Bird. Just try to get a handshake with Larry Bird. Larry Bird was so aloof about everybody, he would just walk straight and he wouldn't stop for anybody. Okay, so he would just sit there and watch the Pacers practice and then leave. So uh, what I did was, uh, I was just there at the, at the venue. I was just, uh, you know, taking it in. And then uh, I couldn't even really talk that much, but I, I had enough voice just to say hi to everybody. So I was talking to them at midcourt. TJ Manotok was also there. Um, we were all, all at midcourt. And then here comes Larry Bird walking from the dugout. He's, he's walking straight to where he's supposed to go for, uh, for the, uh, I think he had a media appearance at the time. So I didn't know what their story was. So I saw Larry Bird walking. He said, oh, it's Larry Bird. Here's, here's my idol. I walk up to Larry Bird. And then I just say, hi, Mr. Bird. My name is Noel. I'm a huge Celtics fan. And I've been a fan since I was a kid. Just wanted to shake your hand. And Larry Bird says, oh, hey, how are you? <laughs> then he shakes my hand and then, and then just walks. And then I'll see you around, all right? He was very nice to me. And then I, I walk off. And then you see... Guy Charlie, Sid, uh, Mike, they're all looking at me and then they're all like that. And I remember Mark Sambrano even going like this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just, I had just been there for like 15 minutes. Larry Bird shows up. They've been there for two days. They couldn't shake his hand and I was able to shake his hand there. Another one though from that, um, you're, you're a 2K player, right? You, you play NBA 2K, right? Yes. Right. So, you know, I met there who was really the guy that I wanted to, to meet, Clark Kellogg. Clark Kellogg. Yes. Yeah, Clark Kellogg was there. The so I was talking. Uh, I think one of the games, just the announcer in, in the game. I yeah, he was he was. I think he was a game announcer there, but he was just sitting around. Nobody was minding who he was. You know, he, he was just sitting there. Nobody. He obviously wasn't the player because he wasn't dressed uh, to play. Then I recognized him. I told Charlie, "That's Clark Kellogg, right?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Clark Kellogg. I went over. I, I talked to Clark Kellogg for an hour with my dwindling voice. I talked to Clark Kellogg for an hour and I asked him about all the simulations. How do you guys do it? I know you and Steve Kerr never met in person. So how do you do, how did you do all of that? Well, he said that there would be times that uh, I would listen to what Steve says and I'd react to it and they'd record that. And there would be times that I would do something and then Steve would react to it and then they record that and then they put it all together. And then Kevin Harlan would listen to all the conversation and actually just, you know, uh, punch in. I said, that must be very tedious. That's why it takes a year to make the game. That's what he said. And this was NBA 2K13, I think we were talking about at the time. So imagine how it's developed already now. But yeah, that was that was one of the things, one of the highlights also there that I actually got to meet Clark Kellogg. And speaking of 2K, I was playing 2K, my player, my player mode, right? You, you played my player mode, right? I've actually oh. written about it for uh, back then for NBA Philippines, NBA.com. Wow. I played the whole so, season and I wrote about the whole thing. I don't you recommend win, that. You rookie of the year, right? For everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you won rookie of the year, right? It's fun. Yeah. So what happened was I was uh, playing 2K also on, on NBA 2K13 and the Pacers drafted me on the 17th overall pick. The Pacers drafted me. So then everybody had to leave already. During the, this is the day before, uh, Pacers were doing their, their shoot around already. They were doing their practice. Everybody had to leave, but I had all access, so I, had, I could stay. So then 
I went up to uh, to uh, Frank Vogel, who was the coach of uh, Indiana at the time. I said, hey, coach, just wanted to say thank you. For what? He goes like that. Well, in my NBA 2K, you drafted me in the 17th, uh, 17th pick overall. You know what he said? Frank Vogel said, I saw potential in you. That's why I pulled the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that floored me. I mean, he's, he's such a, he's such a cool guy to be around, Frank Vogel. I, mean, I saw, he didn't even break his stride. I saw potential in you. That's why I got you. <laughs> you know, um, Frank Vogel, I attended the coach's clinic that they gave. I remember correctly, Frank Vogel was the only only head coach to, to go and, and actually demonstrate and, and give the clinic. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, it was Kevin McHale who was the coach at the time. Of, uh, yeah, Houston. Yeah. I think he's uh, bigger uh, staff. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I remember. Yeah. So I appreciated uh, Coach Vogel for. Uh, yeah. It, in my career, I've actually met a lot of NBA players, a lot of NBA players I thought I'd never meet, like like uh, James Harden, Damian Lillard, um, when they were all here. Kobe Bryant, about four times, uh, three times, when he was here three times, I was with Kobe Bryant all those, all those three times. I spent an entire day with Vince Carter um, in a van because we were stuck in traffic. We're transferring so, from you have a to Carter story. I think this is the year he came here to inaugurate the FEU. The FEU. Yes, yes, yes. We had we had gone to FEU, then we had to move to another uh, another place. We got stuck in traffic because uh, and I was writing at the time for uh, I think I was writing for Forward Magazine at the time. They wanted me to get an exclusive, so this is a great opportunity. After about forty five minutes, we had nothing more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad the traffic was. Yeah. I was just looking straight. He was just looking straight. Then he'd remember something, and then he'd tell me. And then I'd remember a question. And then he'd ask me, and we'd still be stuck in traffic. <laughs> so I spent literally a day with Vince Carter in a van. That's one of the highlights, also, of my career. <laughs> I, I saw a picture uh, on Facebook. You have you also met Steve Nash. I'm a Steve Nash fan as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Steve Nash story. Yeah, well, uh, Steve Nash is like the Larry Bird of the 2016 um, Olympic qualifiers. He was—he just tried to avoid everybody. Same thing with Tony Parker. When Tony Parker was here uh, for those Olympic qualifiers, um, he wouldn't talk to anybody. He wouldn't sign autographs. You couldn't even take a picture with Tony Parker. Uh, with Steve Nash, it was up to him. It's really up to him. But every time he'd see media people, he'd go away. He'd go away. He just didn't want to talk. He just retired, I think, at the time also. So he just didn't want to be asked questions about it. He just wanted to be focused as the team manager for Canada. So again, I was with Charlie. Charlie Kuna and I were on our way to the Starbucks in Moa. And uh, he was walking across. And I was nudging Charlie already. Steve, that's Steve. I already have a picture. You know, Charlie's my abang, right? <laughs> I already have a picture. I don't. Take, me, take a picture of me. They said, hey, Steve. It goes like that. My friend here wants to take a picture with you. Oh, yeah, sure. Because we weren't identified as media. And later on, Charlie puts on his coat. He's going to do the game. Then later on, I put on my shirt. I'm going to do the game. Uh, okay, We're, we got away with it. But you know, I wasn't really able to talk to Steve Nash. I just snapped that picture. I was able to talk a lot with Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw. I have a funny story about uh, Boris Diaw because it's a French team, right? Uh, the, the French national. Huh? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, it's the French national team, right? So when you see the, their names, you think it's pretty straightforward. Yung pala, it's so hard to pronounce all of their names. So I had to like literally ask the French media, how do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce that? 
So after practicing, after France is practicing, I asked all of the French media and I said, and uh, you think I got it? Yeah, I think you got it. Then I go over to, to, uh, to the coach. I was going to say uh, to the coach, I, I want to make sure I get all their names right. And Boris Diaw overhears this. So what Boris Diaz does is he goes, hey, guys, listen up. He says it in English, so I understand. Uh, he's going to be our announcer in tomorrow's game. Here's what's going to happen next. He's going to say your name, and if he says it right, you can go to the locker room. <laughs> if he doesn't, you're going to have to stay. So I really, I turned pale because I wasn't ready for like an oral exam right in front of the French national team. So the very first name, number four, is uh, it's, it's spelled Thomas Huertel, right? It's pronounced Thomas Huertel. So I said, Thomas Huertel. I didn't say the H. I got the Q. He's still standing there. So I'm starting to sweat already. Why are you still there? I said your name right. That's Thomas Huertel. And then uh, 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 Dio, one of the players that Dio said, take out the S. Thomas Huertel. <laughs> okay, okay. Then I had to do that to everybody. Then when I said number nine, Tony Parker, <laughs> just to get it out of the way, Tony Parker. That was really quick. And the last name was the hardest. It's uh, in, in, it's spelled Adrian Moermon. Yeah, you know this guy. He's a French player, Adrian Mo Moermon. That's the way it's spelled. So it's pronounced Adrian Momo. <laughs> oh, I would have failed that test. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm there. there and Boris is, there, is still there. One to go. And you save the, the uh, why do you have to be number 18? Really, why do you have to be number 18? It's the hardest name. But I was able to do that. And then I was talking to Boris D. I said, you know, Boris, you got to try balot. I'll get you a balot tomorrow. Yeah, I'll try anything. Then when I got him the balot, he just didn't show up anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I spent that time with, with Boris D. He was like, the, he was like the, the proctor in an exam. He was standing right beside me. And then he had to make sure I got everybody's name. And that helped me because I was... Able to do all the French names. I wouldn't make any mistakes during the entire tournament. That was fun, though. Boris Leo is a fun guy. Thanks for sharing that, Noel. Just two yeah, more, yeah. Two more uh, quick hitters. Uh, Luke Longley. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Oh, okay, Luke Longley. It's a good thing I talked to Luke Longley the day before, not the day after. Because <laughs> you remember when Luke Longley came over here to the Philippines, it was, uh, he was part of the uh, coaching staff of the Australian national team. Uh, in uh, the Philippine arena. So Luke Longley and um, who's the other guy? Matthew De La Vidova. I actually was uh, with the two of them uh, before the media actually arrived. We, we, we had a, a media interview with them. They, they said that they loved the country so much. And Luke Longley had, uh, had never been to the Philippines, but, but by what he was feeling at, at the time, uh, the way he was being treated and everybody knew who he was. He, he, I want to come back. That's what Luke Longley said. I want to come back and have a vacation here. When, when do you think I should come back? And have a vacation here. Well, I said sometime in April. It's great uh, because there's no rain and stuff like that. And uh, Matthew De La Vidova said he loved everybody that he had met. So th th those two guys really, they they were had all praises for uh, for the Filipinos. Then Longley and I were chatting it up about um, you know um, not really about uh, the Bulls, more about his uh, NBA career. You know, from from Minnesota and everything like that. And he said that um, he was one of the first guys to say Michael Jordan's not a nice guy if you get to know him. But he's a nice guy off the court. When you're working with him, he's not a nice guy. He's the first one who told me that. But of course, what happened? What happened last dance done? So I didn't really uh, put any uh, put any emphasis into it. And then, of course, the next day everything changed already. And you know, I couldn't I couldn't go up to Longley anymore. I mean, I think I had a high five with De La Vidova at the end of the game, but uh, it wasn't the same anymore. 
but you know, it, was, it was good. And, and Long, Luke Longley and, and uh, the two of them, really, I can't mention Luke Longley without mentioning Matthew De La Vidova because th those are the two guys I spent time with in the Philippine arena. And they had never seen a basketball venue that big. I said, not even in Dallas, right? Remember, uh, NBA played in, uh, uh, in a big place. Was it Dallas or Atlanta where, where they played a, a really big gym? No, this place is huge. That's what they said. This place is huge. And well, of course, the next day. Travel all over yeah. the states and around the world. I've seen many. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have never seen a gym like this before. This is huge. That's what they said. Of course, I can't copy the accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, last one. Um, you spent some time with him. Like, uh, like he's like had seven trips here. You were with him with four. Uh, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think three or four times I was with uh, with uh, Kobe Bryant. Um, there was actually one trip. I forgot if it was a supernatural uh, one where he was in Ultra. I don't remember which which trip that was in Ultra, but uh, we were actually in his room. Yes, he, he has a special room in in Ultra in Phil Sports Arena, where he he had made it like his his pad. There was like a DJ there. There was food all over the place, and then all of his friends were there. There's like so many sofas there. It was, and then we're playing hip-hop music the whole time we, we, we were in there. So that was me, PJ Manotok, Sarah Meyer, and Gino Rufino. We were all there inside that room for about two hours within. This is before the crowd started coming in. And um, Kobe was just, uh, just talking about the stuff that he had to go through when he was a kid, you know, uh, traveling overseas, learning Italian. Uh, I even asked him, why is your name Kobe? Uh, you, you saw what you read about, uh, about, about the beef? That's really true. He said it's about it's really true, and and the funny thing is I actually met Jelly Bean a few years later. Uh, Jelly Bean Bright was actually coaching the Thailand Slammers in the ASEAN Basketball League, and they had done a few games here. Uh, I actually have a picture. Uh, I posted it recently on Facebook. It's it's probably still there somewhere with Jelly Bean, Billy Ray Bates, Bill Velasco, uh, Don Juan Moore, who was a former professional wrestler who became a. Um, uh, uh, physical therapist, the, the five of us. That was the shortest guy in that picture. <laughs> so yeah, the jelly, I met Jelly Bean also. Uh, apparently, when I when I was talking to Jelly Bean, I asked him, "How's Kobe?" We really haven't spoken for a long time. Whoa, this was I think in 2013, 2014. Uh, we haven't spoken for a long time. He, yeah, he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing over here. So let's just leave it at that. That's what he said. So going back to Kobe. Um, he just liked to talk. He just liked to talk to everybody around him. Uh, there was one time, and you know Gino Rufino is a huge Lakers fan, right? Huge Lakers fan. Kobe was, was talking about the new uniforms uh, of the Lakers. And then he had actually, he was trying to demonstrate what, how it felt like, and he grabbed Gino. Gino, come over here. So he grabbed Gino. You see this part here? When, it, when, you, move, when you move this part, he was holding Gino's side the whole time. I'm sure Gino was like in heaven. Uh, <laughs> was holding him on his side, demonstrating what the uniform was uh, was like. He was talking to his friends, but he was using Gino as the model. <laughs> so yeah, that, I, yeah, yeah. Kobe was a Kobe was a very gracious guy. And then there was one time at the end of his last tour, we were walking out already. This was, a, was the time when he uh, wore the FEU uniform. Was that his last tour, but when he wore the awesome FEU uniform? <clears throat> yeah, that was after the game. Yeah, supernatural. We were walking out already. Uh, I, I didn't know he was behind me. I didn't know he was behind me. He went up to me, gave me a back rub, and said, Good job, voice. 
and he was massaging me while we were walking out. Good job, voice. He just re he just recalls me as voice. <laughs> At least there's a name. Like yeah, a yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. I'll take voice any day. And I'll take the massage too. That was that was pretty good. That you know, he he played that game in Ultra. He suited up, I think, in the third. Yeah, third. yeah. But I was yeah, it's against Gilas. Yeah. Um, we we uh, covered in for Nike. We were like part of a small group that we followed. Yeah. Him. And that was really uh, was a special moment. Yeah, and that's the first time I actually did a live play-by-play -play na parang liga sa Pilipinas during that time. I thought I was just going to be Barker, you know, who made the shot, who made the foul. But uh, then the instructions changed when I got there. You have to do it like an actual game. You actually do a play-by-play. -play. That was kind of hard because everybody can hear you in the, in the Coliseum. Uh, but yeah, I, I was looking at the videos uh, a, few, a few days ago. It looks like I was able to pull it off, although I was really nervous doing that. Well, um, I, I know you have a lot of stuff to do. I'm not going to keep you uh, much longer, but uh, it's you, fun, though. It's fun. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for for spending your afternoon with us. And uh, yeah, oh, could you? Why don't you invite everybody for an eternity of basketball? You know, with her coach uh, Leo Austria is coming up. Well, yeah, we have a uh, we have our show, uh, guys. It's called an eternity of basketball. Uh, this is a show where we talk about uh, the OGs. I mean, the guys who have really been. Uh, either legends in the PBA or have got uh, done a good career there, at least at the very least. Uh, and uh, we have our shows usually Tuesdays and Fridays. I believe we're going to have a, a Saturday show really soon. But on this uh, coming episode uh, on Tuesday, which is uh, June 9, we will have Leo Austria, as Teddy mentioned earlier. It, it, he was the 1985 Rookie of the Year. Not very many few people know he was a fourth-round pick, the only fourth-round pick to actually be uh, named Rookie of the Year. Uh, we're gonna talk to him more of about his career, not really about his coaching. So, uh, if you wanna, if you wanna learn more about the youth of Leo Austria and what he's done for the sport as a basketball player, more than as a coach, then join us this Tuesday. That's at 6 p.m. Look it up on Facebook. It's called An Eternity of Basketball, hosted by myself, Charlie Kuna, and Sid Ventura. It's gonna be fun. Well, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, thank you for having me again sometime soon. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. You want next time we just do music. I just bring the keyboard and you just sing. It's not gonna happen though. <laughs> delay Yeah, but that, well, so much things so much we can still do in this pandemic. We have so much time now. Thanks, Noel. Take care. No problem. All right. The Tele Thirty One podcast would like to thank our guest this afternoon, Noel Zarate. You can follow Noel on Instagram, Noel.zarate. N-O-E-L dot Z-A-R-A-T-E. Stay home, stay safe. The Teddy 31 podcast is a production of Teddy 31 Inc. Copyright 2020. That's a wrap.